ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Daryl Rath, welcome to ATV Talk. I know you're a busy man and you gave me some insight to some things that you have going on. So if this episode gets short, cut short due to that, we will uh, we will take it up another day or finish it another day. How are you, sir? And thank you very much for coming on ATV Talk. I'm doing great. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, brother, you're an icon to the industry, man. You've been around as long as I have, if not longer. And, and uh, you have many colorful championships in every speakable environment in ATV racing. So um, let's get that. Let's just jump right in. How did Daryl Rath find ATVs? To be honest with you, I grew up on a farm. Um, You know, I came from a real small community. I think the school I went to, I think when I left that school, I had 13 kids in my class. Grew up on a small family farm and, you know, just we're crop farmers. We actually had dairy cattle too at one time. Um, The last probably eight years of our career there, we just roll crop farmed. My dad worked part-time in town and uh, my dad was heavily involved in pulling tractors along the way. And uh, we were at a tractor pull somewhere, couldn't tell you where it was for sure, but there was a gravel pit near where we were pulling. And there's two guys on these Honda ATC 90s, the old, I mean, the original ones, the 1974s, where they had a small little three-inch rim. And I sat and watched those things all day, and it's like, I I must have drove my dad nuts wanting one of them things, because I ended up getting one, and it's history from there, so. And so your career started back in the three-wheeler days. Yeah, I've. You know, I, my very first thriller was a 1976 ATC 90. That's what my dad bought me, bought it for me in the fall after harvest. And I, I rode that thing every day. I mean, winter, summer, it didn't matter. And then, you know, generally every fall, you know, this is kind of the way things work around here in the farming communities is, is 
you know, these farmers that at the end of the year, they got money that either they have to pay a bunch of taxes on or they spend it. And dad pretty much every fall bought me a new thriller. You know, I went from the nineties to the one tens and then when they came out with the two hundreds and so on and so on, I made that natural progression. So that's how I got involved in it. That's pretty awesome. So how did you find racing? Um, that was, you know, that was another step, you know, my father was involved in a, uh, it was a sporting club, you know, traditionally where they, you know, they go shoot trap and they could, you know, target shoot and stuff like that it was a club owned property and they do an outing every year in August. Actually, it's coming up here this coming weekend. So it's traditionally always the first weekend of August or second weekend of August. And they were looking for something different. That's when the three were really, really, really big deal back then. Everybody had one. And they wanted to do something with them, but they couldn't have races. They didn't want to have side-by-side racing. Well, dad came up with this scheme of uh, if we put up wood lats in this big grass field and you had to go through those gates, let's just call them gates, and there was probably like 30 of them, and it was timed. We had you know, probably 75 trikes out there being timed to go through these gates. And if you hit a gate and broke one of them wood lats, it was a penalty of five seconds. And I, I went out there and I won, I won my class, you know, which is like a one ten back then. And then I jumped up a class and I won that class. And I just, you know, I was, I was hooked. I mean, that was, I mean, I, I did it all the time. I rode, I, that's all I did is ride that through. Cause I grew up on a farm. My mom and dad would go to work during the day. And if I got my chores done, I could ride. And that's what I did is I rode. I had a big gas barrel. I never ever ran out of gas because you know that's what we use for the, the tractors and stuff on the farm. And I just kept riding. I mean, seriously, when those four those wheelers got traded in yearly, they had a lot of damn time on <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> so I mean I didn't I didn't have friends around because we grew it was country, you know, and there's maybe a neighbor or two, and that's about it. But I I entertained myself by riding. That's what I did. So that, that's awesome. And, and then you rolled into racing the bigger three wheelers with the suspension. Um, did you start on TT or motocross? You know what, what it was is, you know, dad, you know, bought me the, like the 200 hardtails, you know, and I, for, I think when a 200 S was the first one had front suspension, that's the only suspension I ever had. And then when Honda released the 200 X in 1983, I wanted one of those in the worst way. And, some friends of mine had a 250R that they left me ride, and it's like, you know, it was awesome. That's what I wanted. And uh, my dad flat out told me, he says, if you want one of those machines, you know, with the chain out in the open, because all the thing I've had up to them was, you know, they were pretty low key. They were, the chains were all enclosed and stuff like that. And dad said, you know, if you want one of those race style thrillers, you're going to buy it yourself. He says, you can trade the one in that we own, but you're paying the difference. So, you know, that was the goal in the spring of the year is I started, you know, he paid me to do certain chores and I came up with the money to do the trade-in. And my very first, my very first something that I owned personally myself was an 84 200X. Brand new off the showroom floor. I think I brought it home on a Monday and that following Saturday, some older friends of mine took me racing. So, you know, not just like we were talking about earlier, you know, side by side racing. And I, I couldn't even tell you how excited I was to go. I mean, my, my mom and dad didn't go. These guys signed for me. I was only 15 years old, I think, or 14 years old. And they signed for me as a parent. And 
you know, it was in somewhere in Anoka, Minnesota. And I went down there that night and there was 28 of us in the 200 X stock class that night, four hole shots. They restarted the race four times. I hole shot it four times and ended up winning that thing that night out of 29 guys. And I brought that thing home that night and I had this big trophy and you know, I came home late, you know, it was cause it was, you know, a couple hours from the house. And by the time we got home, it was one o'clock in the morning and, you know, they dropped, dropped me off and I got up in the morning and I had the trophy sitting on the table and my dad was going to work and he's like, obviously things, cause there wasn't no cell phones, obviously, you know, and, uh, obviously things went really good last night. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, it's great dad. I, I had so much fun. And, you know, when I got there, there was these, you not know, just stock ones, but there's these full mods, you know, and Palo and all them guys are doing the really trick stuff. I mean, I never got to see that stuff until I got there that night in the magazines. I've seen it and read about it, you know, like the Curtis, Curtis Sparks and Mickey Dunlaps and all those guys. I mean, those are my idols. And, uh, when I got to that racetrack that night and I, it was such an eye opener because those guys had all that cool stuff. And I just had a stock 200 X with some stickers on it. That's pretty, pretty, eye-opening for me it was awesome so that is that is an incredible that is an incredible history story right there and then and then you just was that a tt race or or a motocross it was it was i guess i would compare the tracks that we rode on then was the old style mickey thompson style tracks you know i wouldn't call it motocross but i wouldn't call it tt either you know it was fairground yeah, like a fairground style track, you know, they had jumps and stuff like that. And, you know, that particular place was, had some sand in it. So, you know, it got ruddy and stuff and it was just, a, it was just a neat deal. I mean, and I had so much fun and, you know, my dad started taking interest in helping me a lot more after that because he, uh, he knew I was, I was serious about it. Cause that's all I talked about. That's all I wanted to do is, is go racing. So that's, that, that that's pretty awesome. I mean, I've grown up with racing my whole life. So um, maybe I'm spoiled. I don't, I don't know what it's like not to watch a race or be getting ready to go to a race or beginning getting ready, somebody to go to the races. Uh, I, I don't know what life would be like without it. Yeah. You know, that's the environment I grew up in when, you know, with, with dad pulling is, you know, we traveled to all the different County fairs and um, that's where he did a lot of his pulling. So that's, Every Saturday or Sunday, I was somewhere with my father competing with him, you know, helping him or being with him or, I mean, cause that's what we did. I didn't know anything else. I didn't, I didn't go to family functions. I didn't stuff like that. We went tractor pulling. And if, if we got to see family, like the relatives, they were there to watch my dad, you know, they'd come with their campers and stuff and they'd spend the weekend at the tractor pulls with us. So, I mean, that's the environment I grew up in. And my dad was extremely competitive and did very, very well for himself in that world. And, you know, I definitely learned that competitiveness from my father. So. That's incredible. That's so awesome. So let, let's roll forward a little bit. You, you rode the 250, the, the 200X. Um, how long did it take you to get into the 250R stuff? Well, that was, you know, that was this next step, you know, as a, I wanted to build that, that 200 X I wanted to be able to race the mod class. Cause back then it was stock, um, pro, you know, it was stock. And then they had, uh, like a limited class where you could change tires and wheels and stuff like that. And I did that, you know, maybe they call it pro stock or something like that. They might've called it back then, but I wanted to build a mod, you know, I wanted to take that 200 X and have like a, 
I always wanted a powerball bike, the all white with the blue seat. You know, I thought those white frames and stuff were so cool. And the old three one magazines back in the day, they do stories on those bikes. And it's like, I'd sit and read those stories over and over. And it's like, that's what I wanted. And my dad was like, yeah, he says, you know, do all that work. He says, it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's, that's a lot of money and this and that. Well, the time back then, Tiger was being manufactured. The three wheelers were being manufactured only an hour from us. So dad got on the phone with Tiger, you know, with Peter Wood, who's the owner of the company. And he set up a dealership commitment with Peter that we bought two of these Tigers. He'd sell them to us for dealer cost. So some friends of mine that were in my racing friends, the older friends that I was racing that were taking me racing one and one, two. And uh, so they bought one, we bought one. And, you know, I sold my, my, my 200 X to pay for that. And, now I'm racing a Tiger 200 is what I ended up starting. That was a transition from the you know 200X to the, the Tiger. So that's what I raced when I was in high school. I had a 200 Tiger and you know, nobody had one of them. I mean, they're they're like a unicorn. You know what I mean? You had a Tiger. You know, nobody had a Tiger. I had a Tiger. It's just, it was just something completely different. So, And do you know where that machine is today? I don't. Um, but I did, what happened is a friend of mine, several years later was out in New York doing some trucking or something like that, or, or he was out there for some reason and he seen one sitting and he called me up and says, Hey, I found one. You want it? And I said, you know, what'd you have to pay for it? And this and that, and ended up, he brought it home and I got it setting up in my, in my showroom right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a two fifty. You know, they look exactly the same because the cylinders really are different. So this one's pretty damn nice. I just actually got from re repop plastic. It's not plastic. It's a fiberglass from a friend of mine in the, in the, that trike community on the East coast. Mm-hmm. I seriously just got it this weekend. Like from friends of mine brought it home from Ashley Wheeler for me. I'm going to restore that tagger back to what I had when I was a kid. Cause the stuff that's on there is some mirror plastic. Now it was meant for a Ducati three. So it's not right. I mean, it looks cool. It looks right, but it's, it's not right. But the stuff I got now is actually splashed. They, you know, they took them molded off of the original tiger plastic. So it looks just like what I had when I was a kid. I mean, I took my senior graduation pictures with my tiger. That's what my graduation picture was, was with the thriller. That so, is so cool. That is so cool. Uh, so, man, that's, that's a true love of the sport right there, guy. Yeah, it's like I said, it was my life and it, it, it still is. I mean, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. And obviously things have changed a lot. But uh, so we raced that thing for a few years. I maybe maybe two years and I bought a Honda 250 ATC along the way. So cause I could race the 200 class and then the 250 class. Um, so I raced those two for, you know, probably a season or two that way. And then uh, the transition, you know, then then the you know, Honda came out with in 1986 with, you know, the TRX 250R, you know, and, and believe me, us diehard trike racers made fun of them, you know, it's because it was, where's a lawnmower attachment and stuff like that, because, you know, it was, just wasn't, wasn't accepted, you know, and some friends of mine owned a business in town, a Suzuki dealership, and he called me up and said, you should come and ride this, you know, they got an LT 250 and you should come and ride this, Gerald. And I'm, Went and rode it. It's like, it was fun. It was cool, but it wasn't, you know, I just wasn't interested in a Suzuki at the time. But when the Honda came out, then we ended up buying a brand new 86 250R. Sold the Tiger, 
kept a kept a 250R trike and then had a TRX250. That's that was the next step for us. And I ended up racing them both for one season. So and then, and then you transitioned to the four-wheeler? Yep. And then we sold the trike. Um and then just stayed with the quad. And uh, you know, then when the 88s came out, you know, when they changed the aluminum swing arm and changed everything up and then we got rid of the 86 and made uh, the transition to that you know but meanwhile that you know i already then i was racing pro class here in you know the, the, the minnesota wisconsin area i was racing pro class then already i was only 18 or 19 years old um on that 250r and i got hooked up with a guy from iowa that did our engines mike ellsbury you know, there's probably some people maybe listen to this that, you know, it's like, I know Mike, you know, but uh, Mike had ties to Roger Berman, which was factory Honda. And Mike, Mike had come up with some really good parts for us and Mike stuff ran and he was very personal and helped me and helped my father. And, you know, my dad trusted him. So that's where, you know, that's where the money was spent towards him. You know, he, he took, you know, helped us short, you know, shorten swing arms and gave us the tricks that those guys were doing that we never would have known otherwise and got us some factory tires, you know, because back in the day, I mean, factory oats tires were what you wanted. I mean, the factory fronts were those special wide, they were like a, looked a lot like the stock tire, but it was a wider profile and there wasn't a better tire on a motocross track back in the day was those factory oats. And so we got those and, you know, I got to travel some with, with Mike and, and, uh, Phil Niccolo is another one of his riders from Iowa that he helped munch and Roger. And we went to like Pontiac Silverdome. I didn't get the race there, but I went and hung out with those guys. And I, you know, I just went there as a sponge to pick up, you know, a, a bunch of stuff. I mean, I got to see stuff there. I, got, I showed pictures to Tucker and, uh, you know, we pulled in with my dad's motorhome in the middle of the night and, uh, we got up in the morning and, we were camped in the parking lot of the silver dome. We woke up in the morning, there was four factory Suzuki rigs sitting there, the box fans. And I mean, there's people who never ever see that. I mean, it's like, I got pictures of that, you know, in the Honda rigs. And, you know, I, I remember going over to the Oats box van and they'd have that thing plump full of tires and rims. And the engineers are there. You hand them your driver's license they'd give you a set of tires and rims wheels to run for the weekend. And all you had to do is give them back and they give your driver's license. That's what was the exchange. I mean, some of that stuff was hand grooved. I mean, a it's, lot of it. Yeah. And, I, uh, I, got, I got to not be part of it, but be there that, and, 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 you know, get firsthand information with Lauren and Marty when they were talking about, and they were hand grooving the motocross tires for Marty, you yep. know, at the end. Uh, and, yeah, they and, and that wasn't the first time, obviously, but that was just one of the times that, you know. No, so. I, I mean, I, I can remember that stuff as plain as day standing there. And it's like I was just some dumb young kid and I had no clue to the level that those guys were at. You know, those guys are making good money. I mean, that's Jimmy White and all those those guys were there. I mean, those guys were I mean, I looked at, I remember looking at Jimmy White and it's like, man, that dude's just just a badass. And and because your magazines when we write about this these races you know like the old well there's a newspaper that used to come called like atv insight or something like that that used to come out like a i think that came out like bi-monthly so you could read about the races 
at least a little bit earlier because like the thriller magazine back in the day was months out from the time they had the race before you knew what happened unless mike ellsbury from iowa told me how roger did at the racetrack you know because we'd go down to fort dodge iowa or whatever race and you know our pass would cross with roger so i mean i got to race with those guys back there back in that day so i got to race with some crazy fast people and then I didn't have to travel that far, you know, it was Fort Dodge is three hours for me and I could race with them on a Friday night. So, I mean, I had some opportunities and, and, you know, again, we can go back to this key people and keep, you know, good friends and keep the good people around you and, and, and always learn. And then I never, ever quit learning. These guys are so awesome to work with. So. Do you think that your progression of knowledge as you've been around the sport longer grows faster now, or are you learning slower? Yeah. I mean, constantly learning. I mean, I've, I've, you know, nowadays, I mean, it's, I, I, I do work with Hoosier tires, you know, with changing different sidewall constructions, different face of the constructions of the tires, you know, compounds and they can, Hoosier is an amazing company to work with. They, they can, they can change so much at a short notice and they can run, they can run 10 tires and ship them to me. They can run crap. I think they they maybe ran like two or three tires and sent them to me. I mean, they are, they are willing to try things that I come up with. And I'm not an entire engineer. I'm never going to claim to be one, but there's things that I've, brought up to those guys that are now in production and that are being raced every weekend, you know, that they thought I was, thought I was ridiculous and they, that I was a retard to come up with compounds and stuff that, I mean, we used to have this mindset that the softer, t- you needed a super soft tire to win. Right. We don't have, you don't have to have a super soft tire to win no more. You know what they changed in, in the compounds. I don't know, but you know, for us to run a tire that would read, 40, almost 40 on the durometer scale, we would have laughed at you back not that long ago, 10 years ago, they would have laughed at you. It's like that tire is never going to hold, never going to hook up. And now that tire can be so stuck. We can't even hardly run it, you know? So I don't know what they're doing, but as far as making, you know, that the, the buildup of the rubber, I can tell you it's working. I mean, even front tires, we've gone harder. We used to run super soft stuff up front and now we're running a lot harder stuff up front and they're lasting longer with end of the day. It's going to save these guys, especially amateurs that are buying them a lot of damn money. And they're, so, and they're hooking up how, how yeah. much of, how much of the tire technology is falling in with the shock technology? You know, it's something of the shock stuff is, <laughs> is, uh, come along please hear the puppies. Um, <laughs> That's it. That's not a puppy, dude. That's a monster. <laughs> so, you know, shock stuff, you know, I've worked with Wayne at PEP for since 1991. I mean, this, this, I'll never forget. I came home because I sent out resumes. Well, you know, was, again, I had people tell me what I needed to do to, to better myself and sent out these resumes. I, I wish I would have one of those resumes right now. Cause I'm sure it'd be a good laugh, but uh, I sent a resume to PEP because that's what those guys were using as pep shocks. It was like, I seen all these guys running peps. And I remember I came home from school or work, whatever it was. And my mom, I was living at home yet. And my mom, um, she goes, this guy called and she had a phone number written down on a a notepad. She goes, you got to call him back. His name's Wayne. I said, that's Wayne from pep. You know, I've seen him at the 
you know, Silverdome races and stuff like that. And so I called him up and I said, and I said, this is Daryl Rath. And I'm all excited. And it's like, I thought, you know, this, this guy's going to be really cool and nice and talk to me. And it's like, yeah, what do you want? It's like, um, if anybody knows Wayne from PEP, that's just the way Wayne is. <laughs> that's he's Wayne. Not, he's just, he's direct and to the point. And uh, he goes, well, what do you want? And I said, well, I, I said, I need a set of fronts. I said, I have a revalve stock rear, you know, what Paul Thidey did back for me in the day or race tech or whatever it was, you know, it was a, some, you know, they redid my stock one, but my fronts were stock and that's all I had. And Wayne goes, well, what do you want? <laughs> it's like, I said, well, what, what, what should I get? He goes, what kind of racing? I mean, and, and that was the start of my relationship with him. You know, I, he built me my first set of front shocks, you know, and it's only a set of shocks I, I had from him at the time. I mean, I didn't have multiple sets. I just had those and that's on stock AMs for Christ's sakes back then. That's what I had. That's what most people had. Right. We didn't have A arms. I mean, you know, I think the guy that really changed that was, was Denton, you know, Gary, Gary and, you know, Wayne Henson and them guys, when those guys got together, that's when, that's when shit really changed. I mean, it's that elevated the sport, you know, we went away from the stock narrow arms. Well, so now we have wider arms and, and we had, different swing arms and this and that. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, Mark Liger comes in the picture for Gary and guess what? Now all of a sudden everybody's got Liger chassis, you know, we're not, not welding up and gussing stock condo frames no more. Now we got Liger bikes and, you know, Mark was such a key player in that, in that era, you know, I probably with the 93, 94, maybe when those started coming around, I think, you know, I mean, well, I remember in the, in the, in the desert on the West coast, they were, they were, C and J's that Doug roll was doing. Um, And then Mark, gosh, you're taxing my memory here a little bit, but it had to have been 93 or 94. JP was there, you know, cause we were still doing the Mickey's. So it's, it's, it's early. It's 91. I'm thinking was maybe when Gary had his first one, but I mean, when I, I believe the first year I had a lagger frame was in 1993. I ordered it probably fall of 92. Probably. I remember it. Yeah, you're, you're, we're, we're all in that range somewhere, you know, because the Lobos came out 93 ish, you know. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, Putman was doing some chassis. Right. Um, and what the hell is that thing? Of, what's that? What the hell is that thing? Is that a that's Dane? My, that's my Dane. Yeah. So, and, and, and thinks it's a lap dog, right? Yeah, he's sitting right next to me here now. He's, now he's, he's, uh, he's calm, just hanging out. So that's um, awesome. So, and not everybody can see this, but it's not a normal size dog. This dog's probably bigger <laughs> than Daryl. Oh my gosh, he's huge. <laughs> he's 200 pounds. Oh so, man. That's a big but, dog. Uh, no, so that was the, you know, I, I got to see that progression. And uh, yeah, I tell you, that first time I rode a lighter bike and I had full, you know, Wayne built me front and rear shocks and stuff. And I built that bike from the ground up. I thought, you know, I had a, I had the narrow chassis because that's all they had at first was a narrow front end. And then they made that wider one after that, you know, built one of those, but that I'll never forget. I took that thing to an indoor race at down in the Minneapolis Metrodome. It was a, you know, like a clear channel deal at that time. I took that there and all the guys were following that series. And I went and ran there and it's like, I'll never forget how that bike felt, how light and plush and tight and, and right. That bike felt the first time I rode it. It's like, this thing is, beautiful you know it's i'll never forget the feeling of how those chassis work 
And, you know, it's like, you know, I've told Tucker about them. And it's like, can't imagine how those bikes felt compared to what we were riding, you know, just night and day. So, well, yeah, I remember we were, we were working, Lauren was working with Marty and we were at Glen Helen and Donnie Banks was there, Marty Hart. And, uh, I'm trying to think of everybody and, and they had stock swing arms, stock a arms and Oline shocks. And everybody's on all stock stuff, and it's just yep. it's just beating them all to death, you know. I think it was wow. eighty eight, end of eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, and that's I I went through all that stuff. I mean, I rode. That's what I rode. Like I said, we ran stock swing arms and stock eight arms. Like just like you said, I mean, it's all we had. We didn't even have steering stabilizers until PEP came out with the old pole type stabilizer that we used to. Everybody used to run. I mean, right. Wayne must have sold thousands and thousands of them damn things and i mean he, he, a volkswagen steering dampener uh, yep. shock yeah <laughs> he sold that a kit and i remember i remember you couldn't you couldn't walk through the pits without seeing them everybody yeah. had them i mean yeah, everybody had them i think they're sold for like 89.95 and wayne probably made 50 bucks on them damn things times thousands <laughs> so paid for a couple of red corvettes back in the day so <laughs> That's pretty awesome. If anybody knows Wayne, he always has red Corvette. So <laughs> when did you start getting into developing uh, your products? Because I know we used archaic sway bars with arc with, I would say archaic technology because they weren't adjustable enough. Yep. Yeah. So what happened is I went to, I graduated high school in 86 I'm dating myself now, so now people can put together how old I really am sitting here. Um, I graduated in 86, and I went to fall of 87. I went to school to be a machinist, tool maker. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I couldn't afford to buy all that stuff that I wanted, but I had the time to build it. Um, my instructor was super cool. My, my, my first year machining instructor was he raced road bikes. So he was, yeah, Daryl, you know, it's like we'd sit and have a conversation and it's like, yeah, you can do this, use it, use the equipment. And he'd, he'd help me. And, um, so I took full advantage of it. You know, I did my school stuff and then I, after I got my school stuff done, I'd be building billet foot pigs. I'd be building this and I'd be building that or, you know, whatever, I, whatever I needed to build or wanted to build, he didn't have a problem with it, build it. Um, so I did, you know, obviously my dad directed me a lot from, cause you know, with all the, the pulling tractors we did was everything had to be hand built there too. It's like, you know, nothing couldn't go buy it. You had to build right. it. Um, and that was the mentality that we had. And I didn't have, I guess I was used to it. I was comfortable with that. I mean, you know, we used housings from rear ends of different tractors, but all the gears inside there were something different out of trucks and or log skidders or whatever that would take the horsepower that we we're putting into them. So, I mean, that was the world I grew up in. And I just, I didn't know anything other than if it breaks, you fix it with something better, you know, and there's always going to be the next link of the chain that breaks because you, you, you're, you're chasing it no matter what it seems like, yep. you know, so sooner or later, I mean, you can always, and then obviously you always try to build it as light as you can without sacrificing and, you know, the strength. So that's what, that's, that's what I, I mean, Mike, my first year instructor, his, his real, his full name was Mike Yonke. And the guy was this, I mean, again, there's steps, you know, these guys are 
there's, there's so many talented people we can learn from. And he was one of those guys that was willing to take the time. And he probably seen that I was different than a lot of the other kids that I wanted it. You know, I was, he could, he knew I was serious about what I was doing and he wanted to help me. I, I'm thankful for that. I appreciate everything the guy did for me because he did, you know, he's again, one of those people that make different steps in your life. And I'm thankful for that. So that's, that's, that's awesome. So you were making some of your own parts and learning some of your craft in, in school. Yep. When did it, when did you realize it was going to become a business? So what happened is again, I mean, I, I, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I mean, I, we weren't poverty poor. You know what I mean, but we, we worked for everything we got. My dad, you know, I didn't have a bunch of money because, um, just, just the way we were, we we're basic, basic people. And, uh, I, uh, I got, took a job working part-time for a guy after I got my first full-time job out of, out of school. Um, that lived fairly close to my mom and dad here. It was a friend of my dad's that he worked full-time for a 3M company here in town, but he was a machinist tool maker and he did stuff for 3M at his home shop. I mean, when I say home shop, it was thousand square feet building. He had, you know, a manual mill, a lathe and like an old surface grinder and some basic, basic stuff. And, I went over there because I was, I needed money to go racing. Cause I want, at that time I started racing nationals already. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to be able to have the money to be able to go race more nationals and buy more things and this and that, and pay for that lagger frame and all that stuff. I mean, cause back in the day, I think a lagger full lagger frame with the T pin front end and all the stuff the swing arm was, I think it was probably about 3,700, almost four grand. That's a lot of damn money back in 1993. Yep. So I was working for him and uh, this guy here again was one of those guys that think outside the box. He, if he didn't have, if we didn't have the equipment to build a job or do a job, he wouldn't know quote it. We'd figure out a way of doing it with what we had. I mean, if we had to turn one of our mills into somewhat of a lathe, we did it. He was that kind of a guy. I mean, he just, again, he thought outside the box and, and I remember bringing my sway bar to him. And this is the story of the sway bar. You asked me how I got to that. Cause the sway bar really truly was the first thing that wrath racing came from. And he looked at that and he says, that's this chromoly tube. He said, I don't even know if it's chromoly. He said, it's just some welded together crap. He said, that's, that's nothing special. He said, you know, he had a lot of, he had a lot of background in metallurgy and he said, Gary says, why don't we just build it out of like a torsion bar, like from a sprint car. I said, well, I don't know anything about that. He goes, well, just, we just got to read on it. So we read up on it. And next thing you know, we got some material at the shop. I, I made a, I made a, made a bar and I put one in Greg Baker at the time, me and Greg Baker were traveling the national level together. And, um, I built one for myself. I built one for Greg because Greg came from a sprint, sprint car family is, you know, the, the, uh, he married Jody and she, her brother was driving all over the country you know, running a 410. So their family is heavily involved in the cars and knew, understood them and this and that. And that's, I mean, my, my promise, my, my word was to Greg that year that him and I were the only ones that got that torsion bar. There's a true torsion bar. I wouldn't, I couldn't sell it to anybody else. It was just me and Greg run it for that season. I believe that was the year I won the championship within 93 with a, 
that's, I was riding a 250R frame with an LT500 motor in it. And I built that chassis myself or did the conversion myself at that friend of mine shop that I worked part-time at night for. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how I started. And, you know, that particular bike, I won the championship. I got a call from, uh, three and four wheel action. They wanted to do a story on my, my championship quad. And so they uh, obviously asked all kinds of questions who built this, who did that, you know, and I, and obviously they were asking me, well, you built that. Well, what do you call it? What do you call your company? I said, well, I don't have a company. I said, it's just, it's just me. Well, you have to have a name. I was like sitting there and the, I was in the office on the cell. I'm in the phone, you know, and talking to this guy and I said, well, I said, let's just call it wrath racing. I guess that'd work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, that's, that's how it came about. I mean, I, you know, that, that particular motor install that I did was, you know, I, I wanted, you know, everybody else ran the pipe on the left-hand side and, the, and you know, the intake in, intake track, was on the right-hand side on LTR. And I didn't want mine to look like everybody else's. So I was racing for Bill's Pipes at the time. And I actually flew to California to meet those guys and go to a race that time. Um, and I remember I talked to Bill Shiva and I said, Bill, I said, I said, I want you to build me a pipe and I want it on the right-hand side. And he goes, well, I ain't going to work. He says, because your intake's there. And I said, well, don't worry about that. I'll build my own billet intake. I said, and I'll move the carburetor to the left like it should be in you know, the, the old 250R chassis. I said, I said, he goes, well, I don't know. I can't build you a pipe. How the hell do I know where your motor or any of that stuff is? I said, how if I build you a jig that mocks where my motor sits and I'll box it up. You just mount it to the front motor mounts like it bolts into the chassis. I said, and build me a pipe. Bill built me a pipe. Sent it to me in a box, opened it up, and it bolted right on. I mean, he built that pipe for me by bolting a jig into one of Donnie Banks's race bikes sitting in a shop. That's how I, that's how that worked. And I sat in that, the, the billet thing is, if I know if you, if anybody knows what a boys and rad valve looks like, right. The, I basically built that boys and rad valve, a copy, something like what they did and made it out of billet um, to turn that air, the intake track to the left instead of the right, to clear everything, you know, use the boot, from Boysen, and that was how I got that thing to work. That bike hauled ass, won you know the championship, you know motocross and TT with that thing. It was it was probably one of the coolest bikes I ever built in my life. That means probably means the most to me was that that was my first hybrid in 1992, the winter of 1992. And so, you sold it, didn't you? I did. So to a kid that went to Pikes Peak with it, because uh, I was. Um, I was uh, stepping into more and more of the library side of things and I just was going to focus on the two fifties instead of the big boards. So that's where I got rid of it. So did you buy it back yet? No, it's gone. Uh, a friend of mine told me that he knows people that has the motor yet. So, but uh, if I couldn't get it back the way it was, I guess I didn't really want to mess with it, you know, because it's like, yeah, it's 88 TRX frame with that motor and stuff. I'd have to, you know, I could do it again, but, uh, you know, I did something with my son this year. It was pretty cool. We built one in a YZ chassis and we did the intake and stuff. This time we did a, took it to next generation. We did it 3d printed out the intake first to make sure it fit everything right. And did his 
with the pipe on the right hand side and stuff and the thing's badass and it's fun and my son now my one of my sons rides that one and he has a ton of fun with it and if i ever want to ride it i can throw a leg over it and have some fun with a big old 500 yet if i want to so it's still cool that's so. awesome when do you guys find time to work on the side projects late at night yeah yeah it's uh I hear Tucker laughing. I hear Tucker laughing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, our winters get to be long. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, when it's cold and crappy outside, that's when I, that's when we're creative. I mean, cause sit and watch TV just isn't my thing. I'd rather be at the shop doing whatever. And obviously you think of things during the, during the summer months and stuff when you're racing and, you don't have time to work on it or build it that time of year, but you can get after it during the winter months because it gets dark at five o'clock at night. What the hell else do you do? It means you go home and sit on your ass all night or you stay at the shop or come home and eat and go back to the shop for a while and, and two, three hours here or an hour here. I mean, it all adds up. And then Saturdays, whatever. I mean, it's, I've always enjoyed that, but I grew up around that. That's what my dad did. You know, he, he worked in the shop, worked in the tractor. He, I mean, he was one of the first pullers around here to put a, a blower on a Hemi. He was one of the first guys to put an automatic transmission behind that Hemi. You know, there was a lot of things he dad came up with that was just because he wanted to be different. He, he, you know, he wasn't going to always be a sheep and follow. He wanted, because how oh, he said that once he said, uh, Cause I used to be that kid that came home and it's like, I'd see that stuff with the track. But I remember I told you about the power all bikes. I always wanted one of those. And I, cause I wanted what they had. He says, when you got to get to the point where he says, when you are coming with the equipment that they want, they go home with wanting to have, he says, you got to flip the tables. He says, when you're at that level, he says, then you know where you're at. But he says, you got to remember that you could, you can never ever take a break and relax and be at that level. He says, because they're constantly coming for you. And that's true. He said, when you're on top, there is only one way to go and that's down. And, uh, he, he was right. He says, he says, you have to be at the, you have to be the person that they want to be, whether it's the equipment or them or, or the right ability. That's what you gotta be. And it takes it, a lot. It's, of to be. That, that's they're so true because, you know, um, back when we were, you know, when Honda was phasing out, you know, 87, 88, um, it was always, you know, you, you want to have the Honda attitude, the, the winning attitude, you know, you go in there and then you're the best there is, you know, my dad yeah. always said, when you go to the starting line, if you look up and down the line and you're worried about this guy or that guy, you might already be beat. He said, you yeah. want to go to the starting line and go, I'm the baddest dude here. Everybody's got to beat me. Yeah. And it's, it's confidence is so much. And it's, it's believing in hundred percent that you do have the best piece of equipment underneath you and you trust it. You, you left, you left nothing on the table. That's really at the end of the day, what you got to have. And they're never, ever perfect. I don't think I've ever ridden a perfect bike yet. Um, it can be the best you can come up with for the day. That's all you can ask for. Sometimes. So well, you, you mentioned that you mentioned that machine that you put together that legger chassis and you went to that stadium race or the, the indoor race. You always remember the sweet spots. Yep. You know, I mean, there's, there's times I won national races and it's like, 
I remember coming back in the pits and you know, telling my you know, mechanics, like, what happened to those guys? What was wrong? Because I didn't even feel like I was riding hard and you're gapping them. You know, you can, you can hit, you hit it. You know, like you said, those sweet spots where you, everything on that bike, you can't do anything wrong, whether it's mentally or the check, the setup or whatever it is, you just, sometimes it just clicks and there's nothing better than that feeling. But at least when you, you had that feeling, when you go back to the next track, you're always striving to get to that feeling. Yep. And that's, that's when you have almost perfect setup, I guess let's call it, and everything's clicking and everything feels right, then at least you know when it's not there that you have to try to find it to get back to that again. And really that's all you can ask for. I mean, because you always strive to make it better. And uh, the setups, whether it's suspension, tires, or whatever, it's all got to work together. Gearing, motors. I mean, and not everybody's the same. I mean, you cannot build your stuff after someone else's because I don't ride like Tucker rides. You know, I mean, you know, I'm more of a meat and potatoes, grunty horsepower. I don't think you ever hear my stuff on the revenue. And neither does Tucker. Tucker to learn to ride and stay away from it. But there's some of these younger kids that are, they're running around the track <laughs> and revving. Yeah. And then they can't understand why their motors don't stay together. I guess I really don't. I mean, you got to think about things a little bit. And it's like, but that was taught me at a young age not to ride that way. Yeah. I mean, I remember the old, even the two strokes. I mean, we they'd seize if you run them up on top like that too. I mean, you had to get fuel in them to cool them. And you know what I mean? And some right. people would, I mean, you can call Arlen at LRD and LED now. And uh, Arlen, Arlen, when he built me my stuff, I could run leaner jetting than anybody else, no matter what, in his motors, whether it was a 250R motor or the Banshee motor, that stroker motor he built for me, I could, I could run always leaner jetting than anybody else on the same tracks. He, I mean, he, to this day, you, he, he said that the other day because he helped us build that 500 I told you about for my son. He says, he says, if you're riding it, you can run this jet. And if your son's riding it, he can run this jet. You know, and it's it's true. I can just, for some reason or another, I can get by with it just because of the way I rode. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing a whole lot different besides maybe not over-revving it and dumping fuel in it when I can in the corners instead of letting it just coast down. Because if you're you know, letting it get some fuel, obviously it cools. That's when these things seize is when you chop the throttles. So I mean, the old two-stroke stuff, at least. So right. Well, the the technology has gotten way better um, with carburation design and and things like that. So you don't have some of the same problems. Yeah. I remember the my dad explaining some of the old round side round slide carburetors, the way that they would uh, lean out when you decelerated, which would cause them to seize. You yep. know. So. The Tigers were notorious for that. You had to be really careful with the old Tigers, that Rotex motor. They'd like to do that. That's how I learned to ride like that is from them. So that's crazy. I mean, so. you've been around a long time. You've done, you've covered a lot of ground. Um, it, we, we've talked about nothing really specific, but you made that sway bar. You and Greg used it. Um, that guy was phenomenally fast on a TT track. Yep. Meticulous about his setups, tire preps. Again, I learned a ton from Greg. Greg learned, I don't know if, you know, I hate to say that I'm not going to speak for Greg, but I think Greg obviously learned things from me also. You know what I mean? 
Um, and to this day, Greg and I are friends. I talked to Greg, you know, I, I can't say weekly maybe, but at least once a month. And then like during this race season, this time of year, I mean, I talked to him probably weekly. I mean, I, I consider Greg a very good friend of mine. And I just, to this date, you know, he's, there's things he can bring to the table even for stuff he does now. And we still bounce things off each other. I mean, so he's, uh, he's been a great, again, a good person in my life, you know, surround yourself with good people. So exactly, exactly. I asked this question to multiple people and I'm going to ask it to you. Um, if you look at the history of champions in the ATV industry, why do you think they're all older? You know, I won, I won my first championship when I was 26 years old. And to be honest with you, I was, uh, I think it's, you have to have that maturity. You know, it's just um, the patience, the wisdom. I don't know what it all is sometimes, I guess. You know, the, yeah, there's some younger champions out there. I'm not going to deny that. But uh, I, I just think there's so much to be learned. You know, and I, and I was riding at obviously a really young age. And, you know, it was, like I said, I got some friends to take me to these nationals and stuff that, that were helped me out a bunch with travel expenses and stuff like that. But there's, there was times the commitment level that I went racing. I didn't have enough money to get home, but I didn't win or come home with, I mean, if I didn't get some type of money from the event, I had enough gas money to get home. And that, that's, I guess that to me really made damn sure that I rode to, I didn't leave anything on the track. I, cause I, I only think I had to ask for the borrow money to get home one time. And that was probably the most humbling thing I ever had to do. But luckily it was someone that was very respectful and knew I was good for it. I'd take care of them next time I got there, you know, and the wrath racing parts really came. I started building that stuff before it was a business to help pay for my racing. Cause people would say, build me one of those and bring it next time. I'll pay you when you get here. And whether it was Tennessee or Kentucky or Ohio or wherever the hell it was, I would build a sway bar or build this or build that, like the rear master cylinder guards for the old 250Rs. You know, I'd build all that stuff and I'd bring all that stuff with me and it'd be three, four hundred or five hundred dollars worth of stuff. And that paid for my weekend. That's how Wrath got to be Wrath Racing, really. I mean, yeah, I built the stuff for myself. But I was smart enough to realize that I, if I could pay for my racing by building parts and selling to every people, it's just going to help me on the road. Because instead of maybe making only two sway bars, now I need to five, five or six next weekend. You know what I mean? And right. that's, how, that's how it took off. You know, the magazine stories helped because of recognition. You know, I mean, I gave my home phone number for Christ's sakes the first time because I didn't have anything else to give them, you know, to call me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, exactly. I, you know, so it's, it's there's it's kind of crazy when you think about the, how the cell phones and the internet everything's changed, but that's how people learned back then. Was if they didn't see you at the racetrack, they had to read about it in a magazine. So I mean, the magazines were the king. There was you couldn't go on the internet because it wasn't such a goddamn thing. It was it, it was it was you had to read yep. and uh, or ask a bunch of questions at the racetrack. So. um 
And obviously I asked some of the questions for some of these guys is super intimidating. I mean, you just don't walk up to Jimmy White and start talking about his setup. So he's probably gonna look at you like, who the hell are you? And what am I, why would I help you? You know what I mean? <laughs> most part, but you know, most of these guys are pretty cool. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good people in the industry. I mean, like the Curtis, the Sparks, I mean, those guys and you know, those guys, and you know, I, I don't know Curtis's history because he doesn't talk about his racing history when he rode with Honda. I mean, but those guys spent a ton of time on those bikes. Like you said, when do you have time to develop that new stuff? They're developing it after hours. You know, that's when that stuff gets built. You know, I remember going down to the Tiger factory when they hired Mickey Dunlap. I remember sitting down there with Mickey and just I, I all the cool bikes and they first built that new soup, the super four and they had the 500s, you know, they, they were going to the West coast. Usually, I mean, those big air cooled. I remember I rode that thing. I think, but the fear got in me, I was only like 17 years old and I, I couldn't even phantom racing one of them things. It was so <laughs> violent and stuff. I mean, just, but I had the opportunity at least to know what it felt like to ride something that was close to being out of control like that. You know what I mean? Cause you know, we were riding motocross bikes. That thing had big balloon 22 inch tires for desert racing on it. When I rode it, you know, the tar parking lot, you know, so it was stupid fast. So, but opportunities got to take advantage of when you can. So. I, exactly. You know, um, I haven't, I haven't got Curtis and my dad connected yet, but back when Curtis was before Curtis was uh Honda, he was building stuff and he was buying parts from my dad. Oh yeah. That's cool. And uh, they've spoke on the phone years back, but, but Curtis has never met my dad. Gotcha. Cool. And I'm trying to get them connected. Uh, there was a three wheeler race out here a few years back and uh, I went, uh, but, but dad didn't go. So he didn't get to meet Curtis. And uh, I wish I would have taken him uh, because yeah getting those two to talk and talk about some of the old school, you know, cause they were building one eighty five S's and, and, uh, uh, two, 200 X's at the time. Yep. Pre pre Honda. So yep. no, it's, I, I find that it's so interesting to listen to those guys. And you can, it, sometimes those guys don't want to talk about it because they think it's dumb, but I think it's, it's fascinating. Cause you know, I only got to read about it in the magazines. I didn't get to see the personal side of it. And I think that's, what's neat to see that side of it. So, I mean, the, these warts 200s, I remember when those things first showed up at the tracks, you know, when the, they came in the magazines where they had these sand cast motors and stuff, you know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how wild I was to see one. If I could have seen one of them, I never physically seen one. I just only see them in pictures. You know, I never got to see one, but you know, I know Mickey Dunlap's done some stories with the magazines about them and stuff like that. But it's, it's so interesting to me that something like that existed. A, a true works race through her. I mean, it's something that Honda built, you know, that nobody could have and they cut them up and threw them away in a dumpster. When yep. It was all over and done with. Yep. So, Squashed everything. Yep. So, I mean, I obviously have seen that with my connections with, you know, with Polaris when I raced for those guys. I mean, it made me cry some of the stuff that they cut up and threw away. It's like, just let me take that home. I'll, you know, I, I can ride that. I can practice on it. And it's like, no, you can't have it in, in the big blue dumpster it went. 
and and you yeah you just you cry uh yeah so i heard i heard stories about some of the stuff that honda did you know they'd create and spend all this money creating something um and then the bean counters would say no and they would just squash it and throw it away yeah i and i personally seen that you know when i worked with polaris i mean polaris is you know the opportunity they gave me through my racing career was huge i mean i mean the I mean, who who the hell would show up at a national motocross track at Redbud with a belt-driven foiler? Me, you know, it, it was a challenge. It was something different, and I had, you know, it was one of those things. And Polaris, I I didn't look long term, but at the time it was an opportunity, and it was they were willing to help me. And I had some people like local people, the dealers and stuff that were involved, and we went for it. And you know, that evolved into a a big picture for me. I mean. Polaris is a huge part of growing the company too, because they were paying me to go racing, but at the same time I was promoting wrath racing, you know? So it was, I mean, I was, I didn't have any expenses. I was racing everywhere as I could, as much as I could really on their dime and developing, you know, my company along the way and selling parts to, I mean, cause I was the Polaris guy. I mean, if you wanted something for a Polaris predator or an outlaw, we had it. You know, and I built some amazing relationships. I mean, that's that's how I got to race in the Dominican Republic because I was racing for Polaris. You know, I got the opportunity to go down there and race and won the series championship in the Dominican Republic for Christ's sakes. And it didn't cost me a dime. And that friendship to this day stands. I that man gave me his word. Uh, Martin told me that he didn't want me to vacation in any words besides his country. And the man was so knowledgeable and so well-respected in his country that and he's so proud of his country. He showed me so much about what had going there. That's where we vacation. Seriously, I haven't been to Mexico in a long time because don't need it. I got a beautiful country in the Dominican that I can go there and I'm treated like family. Um, I, I stay at a stay in his beach homes and um, like he promised me to this day. It's all honored. It's in how do you put a price on that? You know, since then we've obviously made friends and, and made relationships there with people that, that, you know, we do river floats for a little bit of money, whale watching and all this stuff. Cause we have friends there. You know, you, you're not a tourist no more. You're almost a, a get to be learn how to work with the locals. And that's, that's what makes it feel like home when you get off that airplane. So that's, been a pretty neat experience for me there also. So I, I totally understand that. Um, I have a good friend, uh, Rafael Sonic, um, and he's, uh, you know, Polish and I've been to, been to his home, been to family functions, been to family parties. And, um, my wife and I honeymooned in Poland. Um, and he, he hunted us down and said, you're coming your honeymoon whether you want to or not <laughs> which is cool didn't give us the option and and she's like poland really you know yep. and uh after we went she she got to go spend a couple of days in paris and and we spent uh, the rest of the time in poland and it was amazing neat i mean so you understand my where i'm going with how it's to make those relationships with people is pretty neat so you know it's it's kind of amazing people like you 
and 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 I I don't think I can consider myself on that level because I never raced as much as you did. I was the guy building the stuff and and going and working on it. But I've got I've I've had an incredible life traveling around the world, getting to play with other people's toys. Oh, absolutely. I mean. I've got to meet so many people. I mean, the Shane hits, the Tim Fars, the Keith Littles, you know, and those guys are still friends. I mean, and, um, you know, they're obviously when you race as long as I have, there's people that their lives are changed from accidents to Jeremiah Jones's. Um, you know, I, I mean, JJ is, you know, I consider JJ a very good friend of mine, you know, and to this day, if JJ calls me up and wants something, he just called me a while back and wanted some stuff for his son. It's like, you know what? I'm going to help that guy forever. I mean, cause he's earned that in my eyes, he's earned that respect and friendship that I'll never turn my back on him. I mean, it's, these guys are you know, Tim's and, you know, Tim Farr. I mean, if I'm, you know, he wouldn't uh, help me out a little bit. The, the his rider that got hurt paralyzed right this past here recently and lost for a name but tim was really struggling you know he kind of blamed himself because um josh got hurt riding on tim's property where he wasn't supposed to be doing some stuff there and he tried hitting some big triple and it came up short and ended up paralyzing josh um kirkland and uh josh passed away here from complications of that paralyzation. And uh, Timmy was really struggling. And uh, I've always, again, I put Timmy on a pedestal because I have a ton of respect for Timmy because what he accomplished in his career, you know, he got to race for factory Honda. I mean, you know, it's something I've always wanted to do. I just never had the opportunity. And, and, uh, but he, uh, Tim did it. Tim put it together. Tim got a factory KTM contract and put together a race team, you know, a very successful race team. Um, so, I mean, I always had a, and Tim was always super down to earth, always willing to sit and chat and talk and got to be good friends. And so Tim was struggling. I, and I called and talked to him and, you know, and put some things in perspective from the stuff that I've dealt with and some of my family stuff here. And, Cause I lost my father, I think way too early in my life. And, and uh, I just shared some of that with Tim and I got a text from Julie, his wife, like three days later, how much it meant to Tim that I took the time to do that. And I think that's, what's important about these guys. I mean, even like, you know, like Shane, this I mean, we vacation with Shane and his family down in Florida over the winter months, you know, the kids played together and stuff. I mean, that's, that's what's important to me, I guess, is, is that friendship and that respect level amongst us. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, we raced against each other and we ran and, and we wouldn't give each other an inch on the track, but at the end of the day, we're still friends. I mean, when she, Shane got hurt bad that time down in Elizabeth city, you know, they're a long ways from home. We're a long ways from home. They actually had kids there and we had Tucker there and Logan and Tucker were the same age. Holly needed to go to the hospital. Shane had a broken neck. I mean, he couldn't, he should have been paralyzed. And, uh, you know, we took the kids and took care of them, you know, and you know, that, that type of stuff is, I'm it, the, the roles are reversed. I guarantee you someone would have jumped in and it was, whether it was, you know, the hits or whoever it was, would have jumped in and took, 
that role for us too. I know they would have because it's the community that I think we deal with at the ATV crowd of race friends that race, the race family, they call it. And, uh, that's what's, that's what's to me. I think it's so cool. It can travel just about anywhere. So you can, yeah, I got a friend of mine that lives here, you know, it's like, I know he lives in Kentucky or wherever. And it's like, look them up and everybody's willing to help or whatever it is. I mean, I had some people calling you. Have, you I, I've had friends come six hours cause we had road trouble, you know, trouble on the road and come to help us, you know, we do the same thing for them. So it's just, that's, what's cool about the racing community. I think is digging in, getting it done and working together. So, you know, this is why ATV talk happened was because nobody was telling the story. There's so many stories and there's so many people that affect so many other people's lives. And that's, that's what started this whole thing was there are people that touched my life and that have touched other people's lives and nobody knew about it. And, and, and that's what started all this is so that these stories could be told. And, um, it's not all about the young racers and, and some of their triumphs and, and tribulations that they go through, or even some of the older guys. Um, I don't consider us older guys yet. Um, I just, I just, sometimes people ask why, and, and nobody's telling our story. Nobody's bringing the ATV world, the modern day world into really what it's all about. They've lost some of the soul and heart of what this all is. I mean, uh, we get to talk to some of our friends, you know, you get to talk to Timmy and Shane and, and Keith and some of the others, um, you know, and I, I know all of these guys and um, at any given second, if they flew into San Diego and needed something or, or we're somewhere. Yeah. I'm there in a heartbeat just because we all chewed the same dirt. Yeah. You know, I mean, Timmy was racing for Factor Can-Am and he was racing at Elk River, Minnesota and it was raining like crazy and they had a bunch of stuff to finish up on his car and he says, Darius says, can we come to your shop? It's like, get your ass out here. You know, here's, here's the just to the shop and him and his whole team showed up, you know, from Ohio there and they worked, I opened the door to the shop and we were welding, we were machining parts, we were doing everything. You know, and I had, I had a, contracted Polaris you know what I didn't I don't have a problem with that Tim's Tim's my friend and Tim earned that and I did everything I could to get him going and and, you know they left at five o'clock in the morning went back to the track and went racing like they they needed to but they needed a lot of things at the shop because they were that far behind on what they needed to have done sitting in a parking lot at a racetrack in the rain wasn't going to work and uh, we saved them a ton of time and, and probably things turned out a whole lot better because we had a full fabricating and welding machine shop to support it. And I was glad to do it for them. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So that's what's neat. Like you said, just dig in, help them out, get them going and send them on their way and, and you know, wish them the best. So beat them on the track. Don't beat them with the rule book. So there you go. Beat them on the track, you know, we'll shake hands after the race and, and go have dinner and, uh, 
you know, leave it on the track and, and, and the loser buys. Yep. And that's, that's really, I mean, it's, I, I tried to, I sat and talked to some, we had a race here in Hutchins last weekend and we promoted it. So it was a bunch of work and these guys were, uh, guests and spend some time with some of these younger riders that I help out in, uh, and when I say younger riders, they're like Tucker's age, they're 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, and these guys love to hear the stories. You know, I got to tell them some of the stories of what stuff we got to do back in the day. You know, it's, you know, I first, everybody ran Hoosier Tri-Trek because that's all there was. Well, I found this company that was making them McCurry's races, you know, stuff stock car racing. I was around stock cars and McCurry's were around. It's like, lo and behold, Lias Tire out in Indiana, Pennsylvania, sold them. Came out with an, they came out with an ATV tire. Called up this guy by the name of Fred Lias out there. And guess what? Fred sent me some tires. I had to buy them. Took them up to a local racetrack, the oval track, if I remember right, the next weekend. And I kicked everybody's ass with them. Nobody even knew what the hell they were. That's the cool stuff. Yep. You know, in my relationship, I don't know if Fred still works there or not. But uh, I, I stopped to visit him probably 10 years after all that happened. Because yeah, I'd see him once a year because we used to go to Challenger Raceway, which is right by Indiana, Pennsylvania. And I'd always stop to see the guy because he was so good to me. You know, obviously after the fact, I got tires for free and had, you know, contracts with these guys. But, um, you know, he always was one of those guys, no matter if I was looking for stuff for pulling or for racing or whatever, help my dad or whatever. He always was willing to help. So it's pretty neat. To be able, you know, the, you know, then I had the opportunity to work with Hoosier and all that stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, Max was back in the day when I did a lot of, when I was doing a lot of racing in the, in the woods, in the mud, you know, tear, you know, tear across. I, there's so many different things and so many, it's a small world. Yep. A, lot of, a lot of people there that are willing to listen if you're willing to work with them. Yep. And that, I mean, some of these guys are so worried about, maybe that's, you know, it's different in my career as I didn't, I guess, always winning and that weekend maybe wasn't always the big picture I looked at because I was always looking at it's like if I can get a relationship with these guys it'd probably be better off down the road and I think maybe it's better off paid off for me down the road long term it made a lot more sense to me so you know what I came uh, to realize is because when I was younger it was all about what flag you wore what flag you were waving yep. and as I got a little older I realized you know maybe that's not the most important thing. And, and I think when that changed for me, the world and the family grew exponentially um, enormous because when you're working on your competitor's bike before the race and your riders over there get handing you tools um, because his bike's ready and he's not questioning it and you go out and they have an epic battle. Um, it's, it's very, very rewarding, you know, because you may have still won the race, but you won it because that other competitor was there and it was an even race instead of him not being there. And it was a runaway. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's, I, I wish there's a lot more of that track. I think there's a lot of it there. I wish there's still more yet. 
because at the end of the day, it's we. I'd much rather get third out of twenty guys than win every race out of five guys. Yep, because it doesn't mean shit to you. I mean, the more people involved, the more fun it is. I mean, it's just it's just better. It's better for everybody involved, and uh, it's you know, winning every time doesn't mean anything if you did if you guys don't have. 20 other guys to challenge you. I guess the challenge is the big thing. So, uh, Daryl, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on ATV Talk. It, it, it really means a lot to me um, because I believe your stature in the industry is, is uh, unspeakable. I, I don't have a, a way to, to bring it across in words. Um, you've always treated me with the utmost respect and uh, you've always, always treated our company with the utmost respect. And I really, really appreciate you. And I re really appreciate the things you bring to the industry. That brings me to this portion. I want to extend an invitation to you to bring you back and talk to you about more in-depth racing and some of the race stories. Um, so we can really get down to what it was like to ice race, what it was like to tear across, you know, what it's really like to TT motocross um, and get a little more in depth with some of those stories and some of the things that you've got to do yep. as well as I have a segment called inspired and not a lot of people know Daryl Rath behind the scenes and what you do for a living. Um, yes, wrath racing is one of the things, but you're also a fireman and you give back to, to society in that way. And you give of yourself in, in that job and in that role. And I would really like to have you on to talk about that. That'd be great. I'd love to, love to talk to you about it. So I really appreciate your time and I will definitely be in touch with you about these things. I, I can't wait till we can do this again. Well, you just let me know. I will, sir. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.